Welcome to the D.A.R.E. podcast, where it is all about helping people overcome anxiety and panic attacks. The D.A.R.E. app has over 1 million downloads and is free to download at DareResponse.com. Now, without further ado, here is the D.A.R.E. podcast. Hi. Hi, everyone. Um, So my name is Michelle Cavanaugh. I'm one of the coaches here at D.A.R.E. Aida should be joining any second. Um, What we do is we go through um, a whole bunch of pre-submitted questions. We'll go through the questions and um, we'll um, answer them as best we can. Here's Aida. Hello. Hi. Good to see you. Good to see you. All right. Great. I'm excited. All right. Let's start with our first question, Michelle. I have an intense fear of death and not knowing when my family will die or when I will die and how. Nothing has happened and it's consuming me. Is there any advice or tips for this? Yeah. And like, that's kind of a weirdly simple answer, right? And it, it, she said, nothing has helped. Nothing has helped and it's consuming me. Oh, I'm sorry. So, nothing has helped. I'm sorry. But which is right. probably both true, right? Nothing has happened, but nothing has helped because I'm still so scared. And mm-hmm. I kind of just had this conversation right before this call. It's, I have a fear of death and not knowing when my family will die or, or when I will die and how not knowing when my family will die, when I will die, how I will die all gets this practice response. Yep. Yep. That's right. And also, yep. That's scary. That's not mm-hmm. generally what keeps the problematic part going. It's, I don't know. Here comes uncertainties, an uncertainty of something permanent. And here comes your body sending you fear to do something about this. And now you're probably spending a lot of time trying to know or trying to not die or trying to do a lot of things to prevent dying or keeping people safe. And if you're spending your life trying to not die, you're not keeping yourself any more alive. You're keeping yourself in a heightened state, but this is control, vulnerability, uncertainty. I don't know. And we have, we're not good at, I don't knows we're good at, but I need to know. And if I, if I don't know, I should stay vigilant and on alert just in case I do Uh, who, who gets stuck, who here in the chat gets stuck here with this desperately trying. And then it ends up being almost like a, I just get stuck ruminating about thinking about dying all the time, thinking I'm, I'm making some sort of practical action. So you who who, um, ask this question, you're in good company, as it seems. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I also just want to add to what Michelle said. Now, sometimes the controlled behavior could be also just in your head. You know, it could could be a form of compulsion. So maybe you're not actively trying, you know, or maybe you ask yourself, but what am I doing to keep them safe? I'm not actively doing something. But yes, you could still be doing this in your mind by trying to avoid the thought by trying to suppress it or, you know, to, to keep constantly busy. So those are all forms of trying to control the impact the thought has on you and try to think more or, or not so much about the content of the thought, but more of the impact it has on you because the impact is the thing that is bothering you, how that thought makes you feel. So the content, I know this sounds weird, but it's true. The content of the thought doesn't matter. And, right. you know, let me just say, what if aliens run over the world tomorrow? Nobody gets a whoosh, right? But it's it's a scary thought if that would happen. But nobody mm-hmm. takes it seriously. But dying, oh, that has an impact. And I don't like that. You need to learn to deal with that impact that it has on you. 
And that goes for every anxious thought, for every intrusive thought. It's not about the content. It's about the impact and how you are trying to manipulate how much the thought impacts you. And this is where what Michelle just said comes in, right? The only right response to this is, yeah, I don't know. And there is no way for me to know. So I need to live with that fear that that thought creates temporarily. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Knowing that if I don't keep reacting to it, it will lessen over time. But it takes a while. You need to let the thought be present and bother you for it not to bother you long term, if that makes sense. Yes. Grow your tolerance for bothered because not only are it's usually twofold. I don't want to die. So we're finding the content. I can replace that sentence with what if I go crazy? I'm thinking about crazy all the time. And those, those people, that person is just looking for different things. And that person is looking for disconnected and brain fog and intrusive thoughts and the biased version of what we think is crazy. They're not concerned about their heart or their lungs or that, right? And so somebody who's trying to not die is going to think of like, so we're trying to not die, but also you're generally also attending to that thought to try and quell your anxiety mm -hmm. there's a good chance if you weren't so anxious when you're not anxious and when you're not thinking about dying you're not trying so hard to not die and so, so if i could just know i'm not going to die because oh, i really just don't want to feel anxious anymore because those thoughts bother me and remember it's not dying you're having thoughts about dying and thoughts are safe all thoughts are safe. So a simple streamline is I notice right now I'm having a thought about what if my family dies? Yup. Not attendable, not fightable. I also notice how I feel while I'm having that thought that comes with scared or sad or disgust or whatever. Yup to that and yup to that. Try not that this is easy, but trying to simplify what we do. It's, we get into trying to do something about the could and do something about bothered. And trying to alleviate bothered is a big fueling factor when it comes to all of these thoughts. Yes. And, and you can apply these principles to every intrusive mm -hmm. thought and everything that makes you feel, oh, but I need to know for sure. How I need to know for sure, because if I know for sure, then I can control it. Then I can keep myself or, or my family safe. Right? But it's that as long as I don't know, I can't control it. And that's why I need to stay on high alert and brace for impact. But that is what causes anxiety, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. a result of failed attempts of control. Because if you could control it, you wouldn't feel anxious. Right. And you would but do it once and you would control it and then it would be over. It wouldn't be a continuation. Yes, but because you're trying to control it, but you fail, yeah, then you get anxiety. Mm -hmm. Notice patterns, right? We always talk, you know, this is why even if we don't answer your specific questions, we always try to answer in patterns. So every um, question gets answered in, in one way or the other. Yeah, this is the template, right? The fear of <laughs> death, like, unless you're dying right now there's danger right now then we would be telling you something else if you were calling me 911 or whatever everybody has different emergency services there's danger right now we would tell you to do the opposite fight flee freeze and protect yourself from the thing that's happening right now not a could 
a could of danger is not danger. And so replace that with health anxiety, replace it with crazy, replace it with whatever. This is the template, right? That we all kind of follow the same template. You could pass out. You could throw up. You could poop your pants. You could embarrass yourself. You could fight of coulds is, is kind of a version of this, this uh, question that came in. Yes. All right. Next question. Um, not sure if anyone else can relate, but do you feed off other people's emotions and anxiety causing you anxiety? I'm one who absorbs and feels other people's emotions. When people around me are tense and anxious, it heightens my anxiety, sending me into panic. Not sure if that makes sense. I share an office with five other people, and when they are frustrated, anxious, or upset, I find myself right there with them. I've been trying to put in my headphones and listen to a podcast to distract myself, but that's not always an option, especially if they're coming to me for advice. Not sure how to apply dear in this particular situation. Has there been a daily dear podcast on this topic? No, but here there we go. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, would you like to start? So some people, right, and post it in the chat if you are, are just naturally more tuned in and aware of the world around them than other people. Right? You might have heard like the highly sensitive person, right? Some people are just more like aware of our your own thoughts, aware of your own body. You can feel a room when you walk in. I remember, I remember working, I worked with kids for a while at a residential treatment center. And I remember walking in one day and going to one of the staff. I'm like, oh, there's going to be, a, there's definitely going to be a fight in here today. Like, why? Who said that? I'm like, nobody said anything, but can you not feel this? Can you not like feel the energy in this? I'm not getting all hoo-hoo on this call right now, but like you could just feel. And sure enough, there was a big fight in the cottage I worked at. And it's some of us are just more our insulation, I think is a little bit thinner. And we're just more aware of fluctuating, fluctuating environment, fluctuating sounds, like we're more sensitive to things around us. And other people's emotions could could be the same type of thing. But um, like, you know, we're, we're almost like like chameleons, like we kind of take on other people that happens in the world of therapy as well. Right. Yes, yes, totally. Yeah. And one other thing I would like to point out, um, what sometimes or why this sometimes occurs is sometimes it's a strategy from childhood. You know, if you have been raised in an environment that wasn't safe, and you always had to be hyper vigilant to check how are your parents or adults mm -hmm. around you feeling, so you could adapt your behavior to that. That served you someday, but maybe it doesn't anymore today. But as, as habits, you know, are, they just continue until we change them. Mm -hmm. so, but what can you do right, right now? So notice becoming aware, oh, there it is again. My system is tuned into that. But then making a conscious effort to say, hold on a second, I am safe. And I don't need to adapt my feelings or my behavior just because somebody else is feeling like that. And what I find really helpful is to trust people that they're competent enough to deal with their shit. Okay. <laughs> Just want to say bluntly, this is what we what we like to do. We try to fix other people so it makes us feel better. But this also implies that I don't trust you enough so that you can regulate yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm taking on that responsibility. Don't do that. 
trust people that they can do it on their own and learn to become comfortable while somebody else is not. Right? And think about it vice versa. You wouldn't want people around you to become comfortable just because you're uncomfortable. You want to have the right to be uncomfortable without upsetting everybody around you. Right, right. <laughs> And that's, that's part of that whole set sends this message of feelings are dangerous. Feelings mm-hmm. are not danger either. If you've been raised that some feelings are acceptable, some feelings are not acceptable. Or if you were taught your feelings were not acceptable and we all must always cater to mom or to dad or whatnot, then of course you will always be vigilant to read a room. And then, and then you start labeling certain feelings are allowed and certain ones are not. And as I could, even in this question, when I note frustrated, anxious, or upset, if over the years you have learned that those feelings are nope, then we put in my headphone, listen to a podcast to distract myself, but that's not always an option. See, then it's like the fight, not only the fight of my own feelings, the fight of other people's feelings, because I'm going to catch their feelings and then I'm going to feel their feelings and I can't. And then it's, it's this relationship with feelings, whether they're ours or whether they're theirs, right? Trying to control things that are not danger and we don't have to fight them away. Yeah, and I love there's a fantastic comment. Magdalena said, Dear has been such a helpful addition to telling myself not my shit. <laughs> love this. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Magdalena. Okay, next question. Oh, that's great, <laughs> Michelle. How do you stop ruminating? You stop ruminating. <laughs> you stop ruminating. Somebody asked on the Dare page, like oh, checking my phone is the hardest thing, and how do I just stop checking my phone? And this is just my jerky response. I'm going to give a nice response after this. This will be what customer service gets. Michelle's a jerk. Yes, but it's true because how do you stop checking your phone all day? You stop checking your phone all day. And it's kind of the, it's kind of good that that's the answer because we get stuck reading books about how to stop checking my phone. And let's listen to what Michelle and Aida say about stop checking your phone. But I make a conscious, decisive decision to be in charge of my actions and behaviors. And when I check my phone, before I do anything, you can start with the words, I choose to blank right now. I choose to check my phone right now because really you are making a choice. These conditioned responses are habits and habits happen when you do behaviors over and over again. Rumination is a behavior. It's like internal checking, internal involvement, internal staying. It's not, it's, it's a little easier to see the external behaviors because I can just put my phone away. I can't put my thoughts away. But it's still the same sort of habit pattern we get locked into that every time this sh- every time this shows up, I pull up a chair and I sit and I stay and I think about these thoughts and thinking and thinking and thinking. And this, we have so many posts about this. We have a lot of daily dares about this. We have a lot of this is be- we learn how to get better at directing our focus, directing and maintaining our focus and attention to where we want it to be. Not trying to not look there, but deciding what's the best use of my time and energy. We, we say it in all different ways, but like when I notice I'm engaged in the action of rumination, then either I choose and I stay there willingly, or I hook on to something else that might be more useful to have my, my deep thinking. Okay. Is, is me ruminating about this useful and practical, or has this just become habit? And what's great is that if it's become a habit, a habit's changeable. Yes. 
And someone posted here, I doom scroll all day, it seems. <laughs> so we make a distinction between, you know, the background rumination that goes on and you're consciously engaged in, in rumination, right? Which is a control behavior, really. You know, the, that's what the mind does. A client of mine gave me a fantastic analogy. She said, you know, the anxious mind is like, like a monkey that is locked into a cage and that does this all the time. <laughs> it's so true. But, you know, sometimes we mistake that part of our brain as our rational brain. We're like, oh, God, my brain is ruminating all day long. Just accept that there is part of your brain that just does this shit constantly. And when you sensitize, it's going to do more of it. And when you're less sensitized, it's going to do less of it. And when you have anxiety or going through, you know, particularly rough phase, oh, it's going to do that all day long. Don't even try to stop it. It just, it fades away. Your sensitization fades away. But doom scrolling and what Michelle just said, oh, let me look at this. Let me think about this and read about it and blog about it and talk about it and, you know, make it the center of my life. Yes, 100%. That is a behavior and that is something that will keep you stuck. So try to let go of everything that is in your control and the rest, just accept it as temporary discomfort that comes with anxiety. Unfortunately, there is no off button, right? There's an on button. But no, I'll put oh, that's a good one. <laughs> but like the whole sensitized state, it's so important to remember that. I that was my post this morning. I was it's still here. You see that? See that sunburn? I got yeah. burned this week. So burned. And oh. now like my shirt hurts, touching it hurts, moving hurts, but it's not the touch really that's the problem. It's the sunburn. If I wasn't sunburned, the touch wouldn't hurt so much. So when mm -hmm. you kind of are aware of, well, of course my clothes hurt. I have a sunburn. And you sort of make peace with, well, this is a sunburn. This is what a sunburn feels like. And all of these things, well, I'll be more sensitive to touch. When you are in a heightened state, what happens is we start treating our, what's wrong with me? I'm in a heightened state. Now I can't sleep. Now I have to fight. Of course you can't sleep. You're in a heightened state. But I have no sex drive. Of course, that comes with a heightened state. But I'm my stomach. It, yup. Yup. Yeah. Yeah. But my clothes hurt. But, but this hurts. But it hurts to move my, Yeah. That's a sensitized state and it feels highly unpleasant, but we don't have to stare at it and battle the sensitized state. When you're in a sensitized state, it's easy to get locked into the habit of rumination because everything's magnified. Those thoughts are a bit brighter because when you're a sensitized state, the light bulb's brighter. So you see more things. And when you find more things you don't like, and if you are have gotten into the habit of latching into the things I don't like, this is now like this. I'm more likely to become latched into here, but no. Oh, that's right. This is a, me in a sensitized state. If this didn't bother me so much, I wouldn't be spending so much time involved in it. Remember guys, it's the involvement. It's the fight. It's the judgment. It's the what's wrong with me. It's the battle that we're here to, to unlock. Yeah. And a lot comes down to expectation management, doesn't it? As Michelle just said, when she has a sunburn, she will expect her shirt to hurt. It's not like, oh my God, why is this hurting? But we can't see it. That's the problem. I had this great idea. I don't know if it's a great idea. I'm sure someone came up with this earlier, but I, I saw a picture of um, an artist who tried to show how grief feels. So they, they came up with this fantastic figure, like a, a statue, and they put stones in it. 
and the, the statue had this posture like it's weighing them down I thought mm -hmm. oh this is such so beautiful and then I thought you know if just if we could see our pain and our wounds that we that we have by through going through life you know all the things that hurt us and anxiety and sensitization if it, if it could be visible this would be so much easier we would look in the mirror if we could see our sensitized nerves and be like oh i'm so sorry you know what some netflix some ben and jerry's how can i help you but no and you can see other people's oh. too right and then you'll oh. be like oh i see your, oh. your spot oh i yeah. had that too and it's normalized rather than mythologized or a secret or it's a problematic it's feelings aren't danger and the world of therapy is based on like usually disordered relationships with normal human experiences and feelings and they it's usually with the uncomfortable ones and the unpleasant ones yeah so expect bottom line when you're sensitized expect your mind to ruminate expect that monkey in your head to do this all day long expect to have palpitations expect to not, not have no sex drive for your appetite to change for your mouth to go dry for you having sleep issues for being more sensitive to the usual crime series that you love to watch that usually relax mm -hmm. you but now all of a sudden you're like oh, oh this happens but like mm -hmm. in real world everything is just different so expect that to happen and don't be so impressed and surprised by it this will fade naturally and you will feel just like yourself again and then you know that over perception of everything will dial down but give it time right and while it's there just right michelle expectation management that will be so helpful if we would not expect to feel good right yeah yeah and that's why our our shtick here doesn't sell as good as all the take this and do these things and Bring you'll feel better and, and so yeah. we're much like our goal is to get you better at feeling badly because what happens is we we create we start trying to get rid of discomfort and the fight is what labels discomfort as danger so get better at dizzy get better at not sleeping get better and so it's treated as just an unpleasant present experience rather than the monster that needs to be battled, the thing that must be gone. Because if you label something as the thing that must be gone, your alarm's job is to keep you focused on and keep showing you the thing that must be gone, as opposed to this is unpleasant, but safe. It's safe. It's safe. It's safe. That's the underlying message. It's safe to be scared. It's safe to have thoughts. It's safe to be bothered. And it doesn't require my involvement and my fight and my energy. Yes, it, it's safe to be sensitized, right? I know it's, it's such a silly analogy. You know, our our um, if you have a cold, right? It's unpleasant, very very unpleasant. But you don't label it as danger. That's why your stress system doesn't kick in, pouring adrenaline, cortisol into your body on and on. Why? Because you know it's unpleasant. So treat sensitization the same way. It's unpleasant, but it's not dangerous. Mm -hmm. If the label danger is not there. That, that whole stream of, you know, panic and anxiety and adrenaline, it just doesn't start. That door stays locked. And if you have opened the door in the past, just um, expect for it to ring again and again for a while. And also, someone wrote in the chat, it really does take time, you know, for desensitization to happen. And that's so true. Right? You can dare through and do everything perfectly, but it's not going to be gone in two days. You're still going to feel hyper for a while.
Right. And it's not elimination of the feeling of anxiety. Somebody just asked me about my story and, oh, so you're recovered? Like, I get, I hate, I don't like that term because it's yeah. like, oh, the, it's because it's a medical word as if like, and the example I used was um like, if you are having a hard time with a friend or something like that, and you've like mended your relationship or with a spouse or whatever, like your kids, and you've mended your relationship, have you now recovered? Are you in, have you entered recovery? No, it's communication and it's relationship and it's stuff like that. And so it's like, this is more of like a relationship problem with the feeling. So like the follow-up question to me after that was, so you don't feel anxious anymore? Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's not true either. And I still feel anxious at the right times. And I still feel anxious at the wrong time sometimes, right? Without context, right? Like I, I will still have my alarm ring probably forever when I'm nauseous. That's mm-hmm. just how it got paired. Why? I don't ever really know why. It doesn't really matter so much. It just sort of happened. And now my alarm might ring when I don't feel well. But when mm-hmm. you kind of take a step back and you treat that as safe and okay too, without an expectation of, oh my gosh, still, how many more years do I have to do this until I stop feeling X, Y, Z, as opposed to like, all right, well, I just feel anxious when this happens sometimes. And back in the day, I used to treat that as dangerous. And now I treat that same feeling as safe. And somebody else might always cry at that movie and you never cry at that movie. So, so what? And and again, that's, it's the treatment of present feelings, the treatment of the state that you're in, not necessarily never being in that state again. Yes. And you know, people who don't go through anxiety, they get sensitized Mm -hmm. because we're alive. (laughs) Life will always be sensitizing because it's so very demanding. So, you know, the other day I told this in my dear advance call, but I sat down to watch Netflix. I was like, oh, thank God I have some time to myself. But the moment I sat down, an intrusive thought hit me Boom, out of the blue. And it came with that whoosh. And I was like, oh, that's funny, right? But as Michelle said, I, it didn't, the whoosh didn't bother me because I know how it walks. I know how it talks. I know how it looks like. I know how it sounds. I know what it is. And mm-hmm. this is get better at with time in the beginning you know there's so many steps you first need to oh what is going on all right that's an intrusive thought how do I react to that now and what does this mean now and you get better at this process of just labeling and saying oh I know who you are that's an intrusive thought okay funny yeah usually comes up after some high sensitization and then you start to calm down Mm -hmm. you sit down for meditation or for a meal or for Netflix and boom right this is why people don't like to be by themselves this is why they always keep busy Right, it was like the moment I sit down, something's going to come up. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Who of you does that? <laughs> Always being anxiously busy. Yeah. So expect that to happen, but as long as you don't get bothered because you know this is just part of life. It's part of sensitization. I'm human. I have a nervous system, and that might shoot up. It's going to calm down, but it's not my freaking job mm-hmm. to with that. I have nine kids. Someone said, "Oh yeah, you know everything about sensitization." <laughs> <laughs> somebody posted here too i i paused the chat on emily um yep and there are some days just because i'm tired again another physical sensation it's another alert system of our body if we didn't feel tired we would never sleep because you wouldn't think to sleep you would forget to go to sleep so our body has this way of alerting us to, to us for us to do something to provide our body with what it needs tired is an alert 
So I'm tired. This is how you treat tired. I'm tired. I notice tired. Yup. Period. Mm -hmm. Anything beyond that is where we kind of mess it up because the rest of her post is, I'm like, oh my God, why am I tired? I shouldn't be tired. It's a horrible snowball some days. And so here's the feeling. And then here's the story about the feeling, the questioning of why I shouldn't be tired. I slept for eight hours. I should feel this because I did this. And this is us constantly trying to control feelings. Or if I feel a feeling and like, yeah, because I was, I, I slept for three hours. Of course I'm tired, but shouldn't be, I shouldn't be sad. These are people who get stuck in sad where I kind of just got sad out of the blue. And then it's who does this? Oh my God, why am I sad? There's no reason for me to be sad. Is this depression? Why would this be? Better keep staring at sad. Better keep an eye on, make sure sad goes away or else it could get worse. And then we develop these, like we create this be behavior that labels a present experience as dangerous, as a threat, as something we must keep an eye on, as important. And that's where we go wrong with it. Going back to like the basic raw feeling of feeling feelings. That's what somatic therapy is based in. How to just feel feelings, period, with no expectation or like thinking they'll be gone or they'll turn into another feeling. If I get better at feeling sad, sad goes away and turns into happy. Then you get better at making peace with sad whenever sad shows up. When sad comes shows up to be with you, you learn how to be with sad. Until sad turns to something else and they're all treated equally because they're all safe. Some don't, you you know, said, we don't like as much. You said there's something, Michelle, and, and, and that was great. Like we, we don't allow feelings in the hope that they will change. And, and just to give you another analogy. So have you ever comforted a friend who is going through whatever, a breakup or losing their job or whatnot? And let's say they're sad. And then you sit next to them and you say all the right things because you just want them to fucking get over it. And you're like, wait, sorry. Uh, sorry. But so, you're so bad. So get over it. So I can feel better, right? So that's just enough. <sighs> we don't do that. Are we genuinely present with their pain? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I know. You, you're not trying with your empathy and you being there and your comforting words to change their feelings. You're just being present and you're helping them with your empathy so they can feel their shit and then mm -hmm. move through it. Same when, when your little children, when they fall and hurt their knee, you're not taking the pain away because you, you know, you, you sit them on, on, on your lap. You, the pain is still there, but you're helping them through your empathy for them to regulate themselves. Right. And we need to learn how to do that with our own feelings too. Right. Which is something that's often missed as kids as well, that many parents, my parents as well, usually, usually um, with good intentions of like trying to make you feel better. And mm -hmm. I grew up like that, too. It was all well intended. It was don't cry. Don't cry. Come, come. Let's go play a game. So you're not sad. But also, it's OK to be sad, but don't be sad. But I'm not going to show you my sad. Because mom and dad will, like, oh, yeah, we're sad, but we're not going to show you how we treat our sad. We're going to hide our sad in the, behind this. the room. <laughs> and so, like, as a kid, sometimes we grow up and even well intent with well intention, we get like we we learn how other people treat 
their own feelings, how they treat ours, how sometimes the words and actions don't match up. Like, like, don't be sad. Don't be nervous. Calm down. Don't be angry. And it's always, it's never like, don't be joyful. Don't feel good. It's always, here's the feeling. And we, it's to try and make you feel better, but you don't get to do that. Like I, and I think this came up on, did I do the last webinar by myself? I think you did. Yeah. That what you were saying there too, where you sit and I, it was a similar thing. I said a very similar response. It was, you don't sit with somebody to alleviate their grief. You sit with them and provide them comfort while they grieve, while they sit with their sad, you sit with them. And it's like, it's to comfort somebody while they feel not to get rid of the feeling or to see if it worked. And um, like, we just not always taught that as, as, as kids and it's, it's subtle, but you know, it's yeah, especially older generations, right? <laughs> I, I remember vividly when my son was still about two or three years old, he was in the hospital for a few days. He had to get some IV fluids and the, the professor came in and my mom was present and my mom looked at him and she was like, don't worry, honey, it's not going to hurt. It's not going to hurt. And the professor was awesome. He was a tall guy. He looked like, you know, those crazy professors. And he looked at her and he said, why are you lying? Of course it hurts. <laughs> really going to hurt. <laughs> like, <"Ooh." laughs> well, he was so right, right? She was trying to make him feel better, but it's kind of like betrayal because yes, it does hurt. <laughs> so leave mm -hmm. me with my pain, right? And help me help me through it. It's much tougher to do this with ourselves because we feel the thing. So we are that part that is hurt, but now we're also supposed mm -hmm. to be the part that is compassionate and hold this. And that's sometimes hard. It's just hard to switch between those two roles, but it's really a skill. You can get better at it. And yeah. a great way to practice this is, you know, just try to hold your feelings like you're holding a child, not doing anything else. Pretend that, you know, they hurt their knee. So you're just helping them be with that. Maybe mm -hmm. we're not an adult. Um, but anything, anything else that, that gets you into that attitude. But most important thing, whatever you do, don't try to change it. Just be there as it is. Yes. Hard. Easier said than done. Somebody's going to post that. So I'm going to say it first. Easier said than done. But that's what we're doing. But worth it. But worth <laughs> practicing it. <laughs> Okay. All right, let's see. Where we left off. Michelle, do you know where we left off? Um, how to, well, this is a little, how to, how to address the anxiety of movement slash activity that comes with living with a chronic pain condition, how to be less afraid of the pain. And it's a good question. That might be a, um, a good, a, a pain expert to, with the same approach wow. of dare as a webinar guest. Um, because it's a very similar approach. Like, I don't know if any of you have the curable app, but Barry's on that app um, for chronic pain. I never, I haven't heard his audios. I haven't heard his specific audios on there. Have you? No, no, I haven't. But I know he's on there because it's the same, it's the same response and not to get into pain because that's not what our webinar is on, but just for the bare bones is like, and I'll, I say this on the bootcamp calls, like, like I was saying before, we're tired is, a, is an alert system. Our body hunger is an alert system. Thirst is an alert system. Our top two alert systems, pain and fear. Because mm. you can go a few days without eating, but you can't go a few days on fire. So pain and fear are designed to go like, what? You can't go a few days on fire. Can't. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> pain and fear are designed to like, go, oh my God, do something. Mm -hmm. Jolt. And pain mm -hmm. and fear both 
start in your brain and have a way of directing your attention to where it thinks your attention needs to be so you can attend to the danger. Okay. Pain is in your brain, but it has a way of sending the signal to your hand. If the animal's eating your hand, it's not so useful if you, if it sends it to your foot and the animal's eating your hand so that the pain alerts you. So you can do something about what's causing the pain, right? Which would be the dog. Fear is the same sort of way. And a lot of, lot, a lot of people, if you are stuck in chronic pain or chronic fear, we get scared of scared, we get scared of pain. And then pain becomes the identified danger. Pain becomes the dog. And now we're desperately trying to get rid of pain, which focuses on how much pain there is. And is it gone yet? And I'm only okay if it's gone, which makes you see it more. Do you guys, it's that template that we were talking about before with trying to get rid of thoughts, trying to get rid of physical sensations. And it just keeps you in a heightened state, um, not to get into the pain loop so much, but it's a very similar type of approach. Um, anybody else experience that? Or if, if you sent in that question, you can type something in the chat about it too, just to uh, address really, it. Really, really helpful and, and beautiful response, Michelle. Really nothing to add to that. I loved how you explained that, right? The pain becomes now the danger. I haven't looked at it that way. That's I've learned something too, guys. <laughs> so, and, you know, if we transfer the dare concept to this, so your body acti activates you to alert you, hey, do something, do something. But is there something to do, right? That's that's yeah. question. Yeah. And I think this is at this point, I'm going to stop because I don't know what I'm saying. Um, but I think curable, <laughs> curable will help you when you, um, how to approach this. But I think it should be something similar than than what, you know, it's going to be along, along the dare uh, philosophy to right kind of like how your body keeps like sending you more fear for fear now fear is the identified danger what happens is you get stuck in this pain loop but your body is sending you more pain for the pain like it's another alert system that gets stuck on the on switch it's like stuck you're not broken you're stuck and in order to mm -hmm. come out it's pain feels highly 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 unpleasant Fear feels highly, highly unpleasant. They're supposed to, like, to catch your attention. And so it's not to dismiss pain, but it's to, again, it's how I treat it, how I respond to it. Like, pain is not, I don't want, this is going to, I don't want this to get misinterpreted. Like, pain is not danger. Pain alerts me to danger. And so my continued involvement in the feeling of pain doesn't eliminate pain. Like, a on a lower scale, my continued involvement in my sunburn and all night, the first night, I kept touching, I kept touching right here all night long. I'm like, oh, this hurts, this hurts so much, this hurts so much, this hurts so much. Oh my gosh, my sunburn. Spent a lot of time talking about it, involved in it, touching it, checking to see if it's better, looking at it, behaviors I wouldn't normally do if it didn't hurt so much. And then my husband's like, well, of course it's still about, you've been touching it all night long. And I kind of had to make a conscious effort to like, just leave it, like stop the actions of involvement, not to see if it worked, but just to like, it just hurts. And my involvement doesn't make it hurt less. And so, and then you find yourself as you guys might, when you notice you're not so involved in anxiety, like it sort of happens, it sort of leaves softly because you got busy involved here. You forgot to check to see if you were disconnected. You forgot to check to see if you were dizzy and then you check back in and you find it. That's sort of how this works. It becomes, it, it gets filtered to this unimportant area in your head. 
Yes, right. That's such an important point. Your brain, at some point, if you don't attend to it, is going to go like, oh, that's not important. Same as it filters out so, so many stimuli during the day. Mm -hmm. We don't notice that our brain is doing that in the background constantly. Because we couldn't, we would burn out if we would notice everything at the same time. Like now I'm looking at Michelle, but there's my printers here and there's another screen here, but they're blurred out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is important. And it's the same with anxiety. If it's in your face, right? And you're like, oh oh my God, oh my God, it's going to go, oh, important. Here it is. And Mm -hmm, here it is mm -hmm. again. What do you think now? What do you think now? I'm going to bring it back to your attention until you decide to do something with it because you have labeled this as dangerous and you have to do this. Oh, oh, that, oh, that's nothing. And your brain's going to go like, are you sure? Because you said it's a big thing. So what, what do you think today? What do you think today? And today, until right. at some point, like, okay, you know what, dude, I believe you're fine. It's not relevant anymore. And then it gets put into the, into the background. One good way to practice this, I did this with somebody on a one-to-one call. I put a black spot on my nose and then I continued the call. What you can do, put a little black spot or a bright red spot or something on the screen while we're having this webinar. She bet it wasn't earlier. She said it earlier. So like you can just be aware of like how awesome your brain is, how cool that my brain has the ability to to notice I end I become unaware, not try and not notice. I noticed throughout the call, I became unaware of that spot. Wow, Aida got really into this call. And I was so focused on Aida for the sake of her words that I became unaware of the spot. And when, I don't know, Michelle started talking and she said dumb things, I focused back on the spot again because I wasn't so engaged in this conversation. And with us, we become less engaged in life because we're latching into all the discomfort and dares to try and get you to do a whole lot less back here behind the scenes. Hook back into life while you notice the spot, but notice it. Just don't stay and stare at it and spend time with it. And if only I can stop noticing it forever. And how do I make myself not notice it? Right. 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 Yeah. You can't help but notice it. That's the thing, right? If it's here, you can't help but notice it. Mm -hmm. And you know your attention going to go, oh, God, it's still there. You can't help that. But what you can do is, oh, yeah, right. Not important. Back to here. And when you're highly sensitized, going back to that, you're going to do a lot of this. Oh my God, mm-hmm. God, but you keep doing, yeah, irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And you just let this thing be there. Again, easier said than done, definitely, but the right way to go. Cool. Um, All right. This one. Oh, again, I forgot what we left off, Michelle. Do you know? Okay. How much- so, no matter what I do, I always get anxious at my general physician. My blood pressure is always high at the doctor's. What's the best way to keep calm in the situation? Um, I, I want to say this one out loud because we have a whole, you guys can go back and listen to it's not on the app, but it'll be on our YouTube channel. It might be on the podcast also. We did a whole webinar with Dr. Sanjay Gupta, the cardiologist, um, and he addressed, we, we talked all about this. And sometimes I try and like repeat some of the older stuff because if new people are on, they don't remember that we address a lot of this in depth, but um, you don't, you don't stay calm. You get better at being anxious. You, this is, you trying to stay calm at the doctor is what probably 
started this and is continuing it as opposed to getting better at being anxious because you're trying to stay calm to get the good numbers for your blood pressure reading so that I can be right. And so this is usually the loop what goes on. We explain it in much better detail. It's an hour long webinar. So I just want to say it out loud to, to give you like the link to that resource that's that's already out there. Yes, and it's called white coat syndrome. Mm-hmm. And, and like Michelle said, really nothing to add there, but you now try the next time you go to not expect to not be anxious. Go there fully expecting to have high blood pressure, you know, and, and a rapid heart rate. Like, okay, anxiety, let's go. We're going to the to the to our GP's um appointment today. So you know what? Do your best. I am done trying to calm you down. There's really no point. So whatever, whatever. And if you can, try to speak to your doctor about it. Try to make light of it. Hi, doc. I'm here. My blood pressure is through the roof as expected. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. something like that. The more you can make it, it funny and humorous and not take it so seriously, the better. Right. And having a doctor that understands that is super helpful. So if you have a doctor that does not understand what white cone syndrome is, Find one that does, because the whole point of that blood pressure reading is to get a resting reading. You don't see mm-hmm. doctors chasing people through woods when they're being chased by animals to check their blood pressure, right? They're, of course, it's going to be high. So if your alarm has misinterpreted the doctor's office as danger, they're going to be get a reading in your danger mode, not in a resting mode. And so it, it's go- much more in depth from an actual cardiologist on our webinar. So I would definitely suggest listen to that. And somebody in the chat said, do you all, did you also have a full webinar on sleep? And yes, we also did too. Yes. Got that covered. <laughs> Dr. Nishi. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you find everything, you should find everything on, on YouTube if you browse it. All right. So next question. I had it oh right here. Is it good to plan the day's routine in your mind or just go along with the day when trying to recover from health anxiety? That's a good question. It is a good question. It is a good mm-hmm. question. Especially when they put the disclaimer at the end, you know, like when trying to recover from health anxiety, like just in general, is it good to plan the day's routine or go along with the day? Some people just go along. If you're doing all those things because of health anxiety, like maybe a little more. hmm? Yeah. What's the intention behind you planning the day? Right, like, what are you planning? Are you planning, I only go this road because it's closer to the hospital just in case something happens and I'm close to the hospital? Like, or are you just planning to fill up my time so I'm busy distracting myself so I don't think about all the terrible things that could happen to my body, right? In general, like I generally tell people, just forget anxiety disorders. It's good to have some sort of structure to your life, right? Even if you plan it ahead of structure, not regimented routine, but like I I see a lot of people that sort of get lost and they get stuck in anxiety when they don't have any structure. Uh, Maybe um, young adults who are still in college or finished college, but they don't have they don't have a job yet and, and they're able to live at home with their parents and they don't have to get up and do anything or people that are retired and they went from getting up and getting on the train and getting to work to now having all this free time or my multimillionaires who run the company and they don't have to get to work because they're not going to fire themselves. Right. And so sometimes 
when there's no structure and routine, we start making decisions rather than it's time to get up. It's time to get the kids on the bus. It's time to go to work and it's time to do things. And your actions are geared towards things more practical. We start making decisions based on, oh God, I don't know. Do I feel like going to the gym today? I don't know. I don't really feel like, I don't feel like getting up. Oh, well, I'm kind of anxious. Maybe I'll just stay here and I'll try and not be anxious. And then when I feel good, then maybe I'll do things. And then I see, especially since COVID shut a lot of people down. Anybody notice this happened with them or this was something that they are currently stuck in where now I'm making decisions based on how I feel, how I used to feel or how I think I'm going to feel rather than well, I'm meeting my friend for lunch at 12 o'clock tomorrow, which means at 10 o'clock, I need to get up. And at 11 o'clock, I take a shower. And at 1130, like, it's time to do things rather than I'm only doing things because of feelings. So health anxiety or not, keeping some sort of structure based on two, you'll hear us say, values a lot, or basically, should I be doing if I wasn't anxious, right? So Recovery yes, from health anxiety yes. is no different than keeping a routine anyway. Yes. So what needs to be done? And what do I know I should be doing because it's serving me? Either my values or because, you know, in, in some other area. But what needs to be done? Maybe you need to fold the laundry. Maybe you need to walk the dog. Maybe you mm -hmm. need to go buy apples, whatever it is. Yes. Do the things that need to be done, run the errands, and then the rest of your time, ask yourself, what would I do today if I wasn't anxious? Mm -hmm. Where would my focus be? Or another question is, what used to bring me joy? Because people who go through anxiety, they often feel like they're so disconnected mm -hmm. and nothing feels the same anymore. Like I used to, to go out with point. them. Mm -hmm. And it felt good. But now when I go out with them, it doesn't feel good. So you know what? Do it anyway. Yep. What used to bring you joy and fun um, before this happened, or before you were sensitized, we'll get you back into a desensitized state. And by the way, look, this is no scientific uh, opinion, but it's my opinion. I think that nothing desensitizes you faster and better than connecting with joy, whatever it is. But joy is 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 the antidote right to sensitization. So whatever gets your juices going, whatever gets gets. It lights your 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 heart up or used to even if it doesn't right now start there because this is where you will be heading again yeah and you can do that simultaneously with health anxiety and health anxiety is generally over involvement in physical discomfort pinned to a worst case scenario story about your body right mm -hmm. and so i can have doubts and the coulds while i'm folding laundry i could think what if i have a heart attack and die while here's that while I fold laundry, but I can carry on with my daily tasks and routines while, while I feel while I'm unsure. A lot of times we think, oh, but life, if I go out and do life, I'll be distracting myself from anxiety. And so a dare you have to allow that's you're overthinking it. Really? Anxiety is probably distracting you from life. Anxiety is like, no, look at me. Look at all the ways you could die. I got to look at your body, look at your body all day long. And if you're staying home and staying involved internally, checking and assessing and looking and not going out because of how I feel, start going with those feelings, go with doubt, go with it might go with it could, because it still could. But again, when you're in a heightened state, the coulds look like this, as opposed to yeah, I, I could die. I, at least I'll die having a burrito instead of dying, waiting to die. And you go 
lighter, you go with doubt and with uncertainty and with coulds rather than staying home, waiting to feel better. And when I feel better, then I will do. Then that's not how it works. Then you're searching for feelings. You're searching for happiness. You found joy in those activities because joy wasn't a goal when you did them at first. You were involved in those activities. And when you involve yourself in something, you become engaged in it and the feelings come along with that. But if you're going out, all right, well, I used to love to play the guitar. Let's see if this works. Playing the guitar, but you're not involved in playing in the guitar. You're involved in your head seeing if I feel good while I'm playing a guitar. You're, you're engaged internally. You're not engaged in the activity. Yes. Do it just for the sake of playing guitar, not because you're trying to get somewhere with it. That goes, you know, generally with whatever you do. Don't try to get somewhere with what you are doing. Right. Just do it for the sake of whatever you're doing or have to do and just let everything else just be there. Hardest thing mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. But really worth practicing because, you know, even after anxiety is over, those skills, you have them for life. They're going to serve you so, so well. Right. And I love the comment here. I'll die with a burrito. That's <laughs> the new t-shirt. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die with a burrito. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I think we have time for one last question. I have, um, I have one I, that I marked. Yes. Would be a good yes. one. I got to jump ahead. Do you suggest a cautious, slower-paced approach at removing all crutches, or or a dive-in head-first approach? Just because we haven't talked about this in a while, I have been living within the parameters of my comfort zone for over a decade by utilizing my crutches and safe people. So I thought that would be a good one too. That's a great. Papa. That's a good question. And then the um, not so popular response to this is: it depends. <laughs> It depends. And so first of all, look at your life. We often forget that, you know, life is still happening while we have anxiety. So it's very different. Let's say there is a college student who is really driven, who knows everything about. That's a question, by the way. Sorry, she just popped up. Oh, my God, my question. Yay. Oh, good. I'm glad we got to get in. You know, maybe you don't have eight kids to take care of. And, you know, you only have yourself and your life is somewhat stable, not too demanding. You have more resilience. On the other hand, if you are a single mom and have four kids, then maybe that's not the best approach. Why? Because exposures are, of course, always sensitizing. They're the right thing to do. Don't get me wrong. And no, everybody here, don't get afraid. Oh, my God, exposure will sensitize me. Yes, of course it will. This is why you have an anxiety issue. So when you go out there, your alarm will ring. It needs to for you to to relearn. But also that can lead to a little bit of blowback anxiety. You're going to feel a little bit more hyper and and just more vigilant maybe for a few hours or a couple of days. So that needs to be taken into consideration. And then the other thing is think about the core fear. Maybe, Maybe that's more helpful than my rambling. What is your core fear? Is it having a panic attack? in the car, on the bridge, in an elevator. If, if panic attacks are your problem, you could do those exposures anywhere, really. If you it's can- It's not the bridge. It's, it's how you not feel on the bridge. It's the panic that, attack. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you could sit at home and invite a panic attack in. And if you're completely fine with that, and you have a panic attack and you can just flow through it at home, you can flow through this everywhere. So it's more really of an inside job, the exposure stuff. It starts here and everything else is really just, you know, more practice. 
Remember, exposure therapy is really designed to like your alarm misinterpreted a situation as danger. Okay, so your job is to show your alarm that where we are is safe. It's never about calming down or if I feel calm at work, whatever. It's like you're really exposing yourself to fear in a place that's safe. So the exposure therapy is really you getting better at being scared. It's not the bridge. It's not the pink shirt that you haven't worn because you had a panic attack last time. That pink shirt just reminds you of scared and oh my God, I can't be scared. And it's fuck that. I can be scared. I can be scared with a pink shirt. I can be scared on the bridge. I can be scared there. I can be scared with my bottle of water or without my bottle of water. This bottle of water is not keeping me alive. This bottle of water makes me feel more comfortable. I feel better with it. I'm not safer. And we have somehow along the line, usually comfort has merged with safety and discomfort has fear has merged with danger. We have to break that apart. What? You can write a daily dare on that. <laughs> no, that's perfect. It's so, so true. And remember, exp- like dropping crutches, I, this is going to be one of my next upcoming posts about crutches. The first part of dropping crutches, like the pre part of dropping a crutch, is, and I don't like that term either, but like, let's just use it, is to use the crutch willingly. Mm-hmm. Use it willingly first. Rather Mm -hmm. than, because here we go, I have my little bottle of water in the car and we're going, oh God, why do you need to take the water? You shouldn't have to take your water. Just leave the water home. What's wrong with you? Why can't you just, I tried, but I can't and I failed and I'll never fully be recovered until I ditch all my crutches. Start off with a fuck it mindset. You know what? I'm going, I'm taking my crutch with me and I choose to do so. I choose my actions and behaviors and I'm choosing to do this while I go. Remember, rather than crutches, look at them as training wheels. The ultimate, ultimate goal is that alleviation of anxiety. The ultimate goal is to get as involved in the beautiful life in front of me as much as possible. And if training wheels get me involved in life as possible, take that mindset of who fucking cares and then you'll you will see like those crutches will start to drop naturally it'll be a little bit lighter and a little easier rather than that being the goal it'll be well so what if i take my own car whatever so i take my own car i leave when i'm anxious sometimes but i went to the concert And I'm so happy I went to the concert and I'm so proud of myself for going to the concert because then, yes, somebody wrote, then here comes the shame story. Anything with shame, it has a story attached to it of what I should or shouldn't have done. And so the first step, use them willingly and then, and then willingly leave them behind. Should you do so? Because I don't need to feel calm to be safe. That's the underlying message. So cautious if there's danger, but not cautious that I can be uncomfortable. I can be scared. I can be scared 10 feet from home. I can be scared 20 feet from home. If there's snakes 20 feet from home, I will not go 20 feet from home because snakes are danger, but scared is safe. And I can take scared anywhere around the world with me. That's the approach guys. Does that, does that help clear up, um, clear that up for you who posted the, um, the question in the chat? love that the pre-work to exposure and dropping crutches do them willingly right fool yourself willingly that this is helping you although you know it's not but mm-hmm. I, I really love that I think it's, it's such a much much more gentle 
um, approach to ourselves. So thank you for that, Michelle. I'd like you to make a post on that. Later. <laughs> you guys, thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for submitting your questions. We hope this was helpful. Michelle, thank you so much. Thank you as well. I will see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone. Take care. Thank you for listening to the D.A.R.E. podcast. The D.A.R.E. app has over 1 million downloads and is helping people all around the world to overcome anxiety and panic attacks. You can download the app for free at dareresponse.com.